Hello and welcome to ZeroNet 50. I'm Jennifer Deloney and I'm here with Joel Stronberg. Hey, Joel. Hey, Jennifer. All right. Well, we've hit a bit of a milestone for 2019, wrapping up six months of episodes. Woohoo! Uh, <laughs> we launched our first episode in January, and now we're going to close up the season with this episode so we can prepare for this uh, for the second half of the year. But before we talk more about that, I want to hear what's been capturing your attention in Washington, D.C. Actually, it's been a busy week. Um... Uh, in in part because things need to get done in part uh, in anticipation of the uh, July 4th uh, vacation. Uh, it's also interesting, too, because uh, the le Congress works on its own schedule, obviously. Um, but between now and um, the end of the fiscal year, there are actually only 20 days of uh, congressional sessions that have been uh, scheduled. So it'll yeah. be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how much they can get done. Um, in, in that period of time. Congress was real busy this week, at least the House was. Um, they were dealing with appropriations bills. And what's happening on the, uh, on the appropriations, uh, the, the Democrats are using their majority status um, probably to good advantage. They're there uh, as far as the 2020 election is concerned. Uh, as far as legislation is actually going to get passed, that's another question. But what they have been working on are the appropriation bills this year. Um, and they're using the appropriation bills as much as anything else uh, for messaging. And uh, they're, they're heavy on their messages. All the bills, whether it's the Department of Energy or Interior and EPA, are really putting climate at the top of their, of their list. And, and it's even going uh, into the defense uh, appropriations as well. Um, the, they've basically completely overturned um, and ignored the uh, Trump administration's proposed uh, appropriations uh, language. For example, they, the Trump administration basically wanted to get rid of ARPA-E. I believe we talked about that uh, mm -hmm. the last time, which is the, the civilian uh, version of the defense uh, research group. Um, and what the Democrats have done is not only did they not um, accept the, the budget numbers, but they exceeded the proposed budget numbers by some $400 million. Um, they're also putting, uh, they're, they've, they've increased funding. Uh, their, their version of the bill is gonna have increased funding for the Department of Energy's renewable energy programs. Um, and Interior is gonna have more money um, for climate related things. And, and they put in language, for example, that uh, uh, program money can't be used to close programs down. And it's, it's replete. Um, just about in every area. In the defense area, um, they talked about the Defense Department having to report on uh, what climate threats are being posed to uh, defense facilities and what have you. What's going to happen is that right now, the, these bills have passed the House, and um, they've passed 10 of the 12 appropriation bills uh, that need to be uh, passed. And what's happening now is that uh, McConnell on the Senate side is not going to schedule any hearings on these because the White House has not given them any indication um, of what they want to do as far as uh, the debt ceiling is concerned and as far as budget caps are concerned. Uh, they, they've made an, uh, they, there are agreements on the table from, from the year gone by um, that the Democrats have asked for uh, $2 for every one that goes into defense, for example. But the problem now is that they've hit the budget caps on all the legislation, uh, all for most of the programs. 
Um, and they've also hit the debt ceiling, uh, which means that the United States can't borrow money. Um, and which sounds somewhat absurd, but the fact of the matter is that um, unless they have that authority, then uh, when the fiscal year turns, they, they, they can't borrow money and the budget caps that would, go, would, that would be needed to be um, raised means that they're going to have to do budget cuts in all the programs instead of um, going through the appropriations or even the continuing resolution. This is something that actually that's going to be could be a real problem uh, come September 30th uh, or actually October 1st at uh, midnight on September 30th goes into October 1st, which is the end of the fiscal year. Um, if none of this is done, then they're going to close. They have to close the government. Um, and they've been talking about a, a year's continuing resolution, uh, which would get them at least into uh, and probably pass the election period. Uh, the 2020 election period, but there's a lot of opposition to that. Um, it's not at all clear, I think, that, that the president actually learned a lesson from the last shutdown. And so um, what's happening is that everything, all the appropriations bills uh, that the House is passing are, are actually just sitting in limbo on the Senate side. If limbo is, is released, then what's going to happen is that there's going to be this, this huge fight because the the, the Republican majority on the Senate side is certainly not going to accept what's going on on the House side. Um, and my guess is that they'll either do a compromise or some kind of continuing resolution, which basically keeps things at the levels they've been spending. Um, they've also had hearings uh, on the House side that uh, with, with energy in particular, and Perry, uh, Secretary of Energy Perry came back um, and was was testifying. And one of the things that they talked to him about was whether or not um, how he how he related to the budget increases. And he was actually quite favorable to it. But they also got him on record um, as saying that he would actually spend the money um, that would be given to the department, which would be in excess of, of what the Trump administration was asking. And and that's important for 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 a very important reason. Um, there's there's getting money in Washington to agencies and then there's keeping money um, by the agencies as well. And um, one of the ways that the re mostly Republicans, I think, um, defeat the intent of Congress to support these programs um, is by not getting the money out the door. And they, any number of reasons. I mean, sometimes it's just pure incompetence. Sometimes it's very deliberate. Um, and what happens at the end of the year is that there'll be money left over and then OMB comes in and sweeps up all that money. So, um, to have an energy secretary say, yes, I will spend that money, they're, presumably they're going to hold them to that promise. But it also means that Congress is actually watching um, how the money that they ultimately will be appropriated for these programs um, is, going, is being spent in the agencies. And it's very, very important that that, that happens because there is this kind of a, a passive aggressive way of actually defeating um, all the, the successes that, say, the uh, Democrats have in raising budgets uh, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, they also um, have been talking about uh, CAFE, which I'll, I'll get into in a minute, um, the, the uh, fuel efficiency standards. And, and this comes under the heading of um, oversight hearings. All, all the committees are, in addition to doing what it is that they do for forward-thinking things. So they're, they're investigating the Trump administration and 
I think for good reason. Now, I mean, for example, if they didn't spend money, it would be one of the reasons that they would do an, an oversight. Um, but they're doing it on all sorts of things, and um, and that includes uh, whether or not there are ethics problems um, between Trump administration and uh, in the Trump administration as far as programs are concerned. And one of the areas that this uh, has come up in recently is in the uh, the head of the uh, the, reg the regulatory part of EPA that does air regulations under the Clean Air Act, he just resigned. Um, and he resigned clearly because he was being investigated um, and had been hauled in front of Congress uh, just the week before. Um, and it was clear that Congress was not going to get off this case. So what he did, and the ethics violation is the following. He comes from a law firm that does a lot of business with the um, fossil fuel industry. Um, and there were, there were suspicious actions taken as far as what, what violations weren't actually pursued and, and um, also in kind of interpretations of existing regulations. Um, it was clear that he just, he was not gonna wanna face this. Um, mm -hmm. Whether that goes away completely or not, I don't know. Um, it also comes during a week where EPA actually had released uh, their affordable clean energy plan which is the replacement for the for Obama's clean power plan, um, and he would be—I mean—he would be very much involved in that. Um, it, the ACE plan itself is um, what people I think expected it to be. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's it it it's barely a blip on anything, and it's it all goes to the behind the fence sort of things. Um, it allows it allows polluting coal plants. To continue to pollute as long as they're making some kind of effort to um, to cut down their pollution, and overall, it makes it makes an infinitesimal amount of difference as far as the United States um, emissions are concerned, and, and certainly something way below whatever the Clean Power Plan would have done. This is going into court. I mean, there's no question. The Democratic right. states have, have already lined up on this. Um, speaking about the courts, as a matter of fact, there were a couple of uh, very interesting opinions uh, released by the uh, Supreme Court this week. They're finishing up their term. The, the two that are of most importance as far as the clean energy and environmental communities are, are concerned um, had to do with deference. Um, it's deference in, in these cases um, means that the courts will defer to an agency um, as far as its interpretation of with certain rules and, and, and regulations are concerned. The, the clean power plan, for example, was, was and, and the CAFE standards, the fuel efficiency standards for vehicles, um, came about because of a Supreme Court decision in 2007, which was Massachusetts versus EPA. Um, and in that case, uh, the, the court said that, that uh, EPA indeed has the authority to regulate um, greenhouse gases under the Clean Air Act, and should they find that these gases endanger the health of a the community, then they not only um, have the power to, to regulate, they have the obligation to, uh, to regulate. But one thing led to another, and of course, the endangerment finding in 2009 had been challenged. Um, and what happens in those kinds of cases is the court said, look, it, the agency you know, made its determination, it was a reasonable interpretation, um, and we're deferring uh, to them. And that was a Chevron 
that that particular one where the court refers defers to an agent's interpretation of the legislation uh, is called a Chevron deference. Uh, what they decided this week were two other deferences um, that if they had decided otherwise um, would have really put in jeopardy that Chevron de deference and whether or not the, the future of EPA um, was such that they could actually begin to regulate. Now, obviously under a Trump administration, that's somewhat of a, I, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, that, that's not something that, that the Trump administration is, cares to do, but, right. um, but first of all, there'll be a democratic administration at one time or another. But the other thing too, is it's one of the reasons that, that uh, the Trump administration has lost just about every environmental case that they've um, been engaged in in the courts because they're, they're either not following the, the procedures act or um, they're just being dismissive of the science involved. Um, and the courts are going back and saying, look at, I mean, those, those decisions earlier by the um, EPA and stuff are still on the record and there are still reasonable interpretations of what the science is. This is what these laws are supposed to be and you have to come up to that standard. Obviously what this all does is to keep everything in the courts, but, but it's really, really important that, that the courts do continue to defer to agencies. Um, and that's not just in the agencies and how they do, uh, how they uh, interpret legislation, but how they interpret their own rules is also part of this. Uh, that's what's known as an hour deference. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is that, that the, the, the courts have preserved the ability um, of, the ability and the obligation of uh, executive agencies like EPA uh, to in fact regulate. And if, if that had been challenged, then God only knows what would happen as far as um, the fate of the United States, as far as environmental protection is concerned. Ultimately, the answer is what the answer has always been, and that's for Congress to actually act on these things. Mm -hmm. um, now, the other thing that's happening that I think that the fight is going to go on, and it's also something that's very, it's, it's interesting from a, a, a perspective of how the administration actually deals with industry. And that's the uh, emission standards for automobiles. Um, mm -hmm. CAFE, the, the administration has come out and said, we're freezing the mileage uh, efficiency standard at the 2020 rate, which uh, I think is 36 miles per, per gallon, where mm -hmm. compared to the Obama um, negotiated deal of 54 miles per gallon. Now what's happening here is that the states, there are 13 states uh, in addition to California that want to be able to regulate at a, a higher standard. And um, under the Clean Air Act, California has uh, the an ability to be granted a waiver um, to set a more strident, strident standard uh, than the federal standard. Um, and although other states don't have that waiver, they do have the option of following California. So what's happening now is that the administration is not only looking to freeze um, at the 2020 levels, um, they're going to take, they're proposing to take away the waiver. Um, this has only been done one other time and it happened for like three weeks at the end of the, the uh, George W. Bush administration, then Obama came in and the decision was reversed. So basically since 19, the mid-1970s, uh, California has always had this waiver. Now what's happening is that they're getting the, the, the internal fights between the states 
and the administration are one thing. But the other thing that's happening is that the industry, uh, the auto industry, is, is actually, they're screaming bloody murder. They, they've been sending letters again. Um, the, they never really asked for the, 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 the standard to be frozen. They, have, they did actually approach the administration about um, redoing the decision of the Obama, uh, that was negotiated with the Obama administration. But what they wanted was flexibility in meeting um, the, the Strident standards. They, they didn't have any real problem with the, with the, the endpoint how they got there was was the issue. And now what's happening is that, first of all, the industry has is, is invested huge amounts of money in meeting the more strident standards at the 54 level, um, and certainly at a level beyond the 36. Okay? Um, and then they're worried about the fact that if uh, California is going to sue because they didn't get the waiver, um, and so everything is going to be held in limbo. And Private markets don't like the, the indecision that's going on. I mean, the, no. the industry knows that this is going to take a long time and they, they don't know what to do. So um, they've asked the, the administration for some kind of, you know, sensible decision on this whole thing. But it's, that's not happening because the administration is, is hell-bent on uh, deregulating the environment. And mm -hmm. so what, what's happening here is that it's the administration and the oil industry, um, big oil, Exxon, Chevron, all of them, um, they want lower standards for no other reason than the fact that they sell gasoline. And they, I mean, they look at more efficient uh, uh, vehicle uh, uh, mileage and the use of the conversion to electric uh, cars as a threat to their industry. So you've got the auto industry on one side and you've got the oil, um, and gas and the administration on the other. The auto people have the states on their side too. And there's this, this huge brouhaha that's going on. But the administration does this in other, they've done this in other cases too, where they say they're doing something for um, industry. And what they're doing is they're, they're not doing it for industry. They're doing it to, to meet their, the, the philosophy of their, of their core supporters. And as a result, they're keeping everything, uh, the markets in limbo. Uh, and what's happening, for example, in the West Coast states are kind of going about, about their business uh, as if they're almost a separate part of the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, the, it, it, what's also happened this week is that Washington State, um, California, and actually Oregon, Oregon, too, are looking to be able to create a regional program to do cap and trade with Canada, mm -hmm. um, which would be... It has interesting legal implications as well, but but it's clear what's happening is that the states are trying to find a way around um, an administration that's being difficult to say the least as far as the environment is concerned. Um, yeah. And so that's that's kind of the, the week that was, if you will. It was it was a very full week. Um, they're about the the hill is about to go um, on vacation for for July fourth. Mm -hmm. uh, anybody's guess what the administration is up to, but. Um, uh, I'll be able to report on that uh, when we pick up again, I guess, in a month. And um, I urge people to uh, click on to Civil Notion because we're, uh, we're now doing a, a, a twice-weekly newsletter uh, about the happenings in uh, Washington and some about a little bit beyond. But um, if people want to keep current, uh, that's a good way for them to do it.
Yeah, that's excellent. Yes, the the month off doesn't mean we all get to sit around and and enjoy summer too too much. We have to that's, stay that's right. I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> Life goes on whether we want yeah. it to or not. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, you, you're talking about the relationship between you know those northern states and Canada, and that just sort of triggers what I've been thinking about recently in terms of recent events in Canada. But before I jump into that too much, I just want to take you into the Wayback Machine for a minute. And re remember when the world was divided up into smoking sections and non-smoking sections? Certainly. You, yeah, of course, which wasn't too, too, too long ago and, and sort of a division from the world when everybody could smoke and wherever they wanted. Uh, but I never understood the concept of the smoking section at all. It was especially exasperating on airplanes to me because, you know, the smoking section was the back of the plane and ended at, say, row 20. So then what? People in row 19 were magically immune to the smoke? Right. Well, no, of course not. <clears throat> and that's what I was thinking about, that, you know, that unfortunate phase in our history, uh, because it came to mind the other day when I read that Canada's House of Commons passed by like a 180 to 60 vote, um, a motion to declare a national climate emergency. Oh. Yeah, and the whole idea that Canada can be in a national climate emergency, but the US is totes fine, conjured up in my mind the division between row 20 and row 19, right? It just doesn't work that way. Uh, what's affecting Canada is affecting the US. And a, a report recently said that Canada is warming twice as fast as the rest of the world, presumably faster than the U.S. I don't, I didn't dig into the science behind that, but the result, the, yeah. Oh, you said, I mean, the science is that that um, the the Arctic is is warming very quickly, and mm -hmm. um, with the loss of uh, the uh, uh, you know uh, the ice and what have you, and so what's happening is that the northern northern climes are actually changing at a faster rate and it's the same thing that's been going on the Scandinavian countries are experiencing uh, exactly the same thing right so essentially the the northernmost of the of the country but the result is more extreme weather heat waves higher risk of wildfires and drought and that's not just in the northern parts of the country it, it filters down and and any of that sound familiar? It's exactly what we're facing here. The sure. border between the U.S. and Canada doesn't exist for nature. And we just saw the deadliest wildfire in California history. And then earlier this month, officials at the U.S. Forest Service and the Interior Department said that wildfires in the U.S. are burning longer and are harder to control. And that's all a result uh, of this changing climate and, and it isn't just the you know these liberals out there cl claiming that republican senator lisa murkowski of alaska pointed to climate change as a root cause of those uh, wildfire issues and we talked a while back about the potential pathways for the u.s to declare a national climate emergency obviously we agreed that's not happening under the current administration but there have been some events that could open up the potential should a Democrat hit the White House in the next presidential election. And the recent Democratic uh, debates, that was just a couple of days ago, are presenting a prime spot for activists to call upon candidates to declare a national climate emergency. Uh, there also was a group 
it's called the Extinction Extinction Rebellion, mm-hmm. where they this massive group of people was arrested because they were protesting in New York City trying to get the New York Times to frame the issue of climate as an emergency. You know, they just want it to be spoken of in those terms. But for Canada's part, the motion passed by the House of Commons declares that what does it say? Uh, says Canada is a national climate is is in a national climate emergency, which requires as a response that Canada commit to meeting its national emissions target under the Paris Agreement. And crucially, the vote itself was widely panned because immediately after that, uh, the Prime Minister uh, approved the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Right. Uh, with the expansion, which is going to send tar sands oil from Alberta to British Columbia. So, you know, there was a little bit of a two-faced measure going on there, which made, in some people's mind, just canceling out any idea of a national climate emergency. Uh, But despite the call for this greater ambition in Canada, their climate policies put in place under its Paris Agreement pledge are are just simply not sufficient to meet the agreement's goals. So, you know, that's where people are at. They're like, it sounds great on paper, but this is where we're at for, you know, our global ambition, and this is we are where we're at with our country and our leadership. But we can also look at other parts of the world, for example, in Europe, where they're also saying that their NDCs are completely insufficient, and the European Commission as you know, looking specifically at its assessment of its member states and saying, you need to step up. Uh, their recent assessment found that the national plans for each of its members uh, really need improvement in order to deliver n- not on 2050 targets, but on 2030 targets. Um, and, and then it, if they can hit the 2030 targets, we'll maybe help them go forward to their 2050 goals. Um, But the EU and its member states have committed uh, under the agreement to achieve at least 40% greenhouse gas emission reductions by 2030. So that's as compared to 1990. So that's what we're looking at in the near term. But essentially, the Commission has given the member states six months to to raise their uh, national ambitions. And the EU's energy union law requires EU members to consider the Commission's recommendations, but they don't have to follow them. But essentially, if they don't, they have to say why they wouldn't. They have to publicly state that. I guess put it on record, you know, that that sounds great, but we're going to go in this other direction. So, um, you know, the Commission also, on top of all that, really has proposed that everybody get on, on board with a... Uh, climate neutrality by 2050. So hit 2030 goals and then head towards the complete zero net goal. But uh, the European Parliament endorsed the ambition, but the European Council dragged its feet on that. And then last week, uh, the EU completely failed to reach an agreement on the 2050 goal uh, at a summit the Central and Eastern European countries blocked the pledge at the summit in Brussels. Basically, these fuel-heavy, fossil fuel-heavy uh, countries, Poland, Hungary, Estonia, and the Czech Republic, just said, no, we, we don't think that that's 
good for our economies, so we're not going to get behind that plan. And so the the idea that you as a whole will go for net zero has just been tossed out the window because of this small block of the bigger block, which is frustrating. Uh, you know, and basically the result of the summit was a footnote that said, for the majority of the member states, climate neutrality should be achieved by 2050, but there was no consensus there. It's very frustrating. It is, and but you know, it reflects it, it reflects a world pattern, yeah. um, and it, it certainly. I mean, it it even reflects a, a local pattern. I mean, there are states here. I mean, that that have been um, uh, trying to get EPA, for example, to understand that they're downwind of uh, another state's pollution. And um, I mean, the Trump administration tends to, to just ignore that. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing that's happening is that, I mean, you've got um, on the G20, for example, uh, the, the same thing is happening. The, I mean, Saudi Arabia actually has been has prevailed um, to a certain extent in getting any reference to climate change basically cleansed out of the G20 statement. Yeah. Usually at the end of these meetings, um, that all, all 20 come out with a statement, although Last year, uh, it was 19 plus one. Uh, mm -hmm. The plus one was the United States, which refused to sign the, the, the uh, final communique. Um, and it's also something that's happening. Uh, one of the things that uh, the Democrats in, in Congress have uh, indicated to Trump is that they're not going to, they want to see within the, the newly um, negotiated replacement for NAFTA, um, what's called US, USMCA, United States. Mexico, Canada, um, mm -hmm. that they are—they don't want to—they don't want to approve the treaty um, if it doesn't have more stringent uh, environmental and labor uh, actually provisions in there. And the administration is saying that they're not going to do that. It'll be interesting to ultimately see what happens uh, if the Democrats uh, hold, you know, hold to the hold to their opinion because it does in fact threaten the trade between uh, the three countries. And the other thing that's happening too, I mean, the pipelines, you know, the world is increasingly an integrated, uh, is increasingly an integrated whole. And like mm -hmm. you said, that, you know, those that sit in, in row 19 are going to, are not going to be sit, uh, saved from the smoke in, in rows 20 through 25. Mm -hmm. um, how, how they work this through is going to, is anybody's guess really. I mean, one of the other things that's happening in the, in the European case, is um, as you mentioned, I mean Poland and, and the Central and, uh, and Eastern European countries. Um, a lot of their a lot of their economy is coal is coal dependent, and yeah. um, not only on their energy source, but it's it's a source of jobs and, and what have you. But the other thing that's going on in those countries is that they're right wing governments now, and so um, it's the head of, of this kind of right wing movement is actually Trump, and I think people don't understand. Um, sometimes just what the impact of the United States being led by, uh, you know, a populist uh, president uh, is ha is doing to the rest of the world, um, and it's 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 feeding that. I mean, not only um, Brazil is in, the same, in a very similar uh, situation that it's now being headed up by uh, a right wing progressive, which. Uh, uh, Trump is is encouraging and looking to make deals uh, for U.S. fossil fuels. Uh, mm -hmm. The administration went to the to the uh, the last UN conference um, in Poland and and they were peddling U.S. coal. Um, and these countries were saying, "Look at, I mean, 
we're following the lead of the United States on this. And when people say that, you know, it doesn't make any real difference if the United States um, just kind of takes a side step these days on climate um, because other countries are, are missing the trend that's happening. And mm -hmm. I don't know where this stops. I mean, it, it, in Europe, Italy is, is being uh, led or uh, by a right-wing government. Um, uh, other nations, uh, the EU is, the parliament is being, you know, England just, the UK just, uh, just uh, sent Nigel Farage back to, to the European um, yeah. parliament. And so these conflicts are going on. At some point, uh, what's going to break, I mean, people are going to have to break um, this pattern because they, they, they are going to start feeling the impacts of climate a lot more personally than they have already. Um, and so they're going to have to stand up. I mean, you have to hope that, you know, you're, you feel sorry for the fact that people are dying in these heat waves in Europe. Um, thousands of people died in the last heat wave in Europe. And um, there's never reason to believe the similar situation is going to occur now. I mean, there, there are record-breaking temperatures where um, it's 100 in the teens in some places. But people will finally stand up and say, look, even the right wing has to be able to do something about climate because too many people are dying and um, too much disruption of, of agriculture, of water sources, of everything uh, is going on. Now, whether that happens fast enough is going to be anybody's guess. But this is, I mean, we are, we are as a world, um, uh, circling around uh, a crisis point that is going to get a lot of people's attention. The question is, will it be too late? And, and, uh, and I don't think I'm over, I don't think I or you or anybody else that says that um, is overstating the position here. Mm -mm. No, not at all. I did hear that the UK about a month ago also uh, declared a climate emergency, a national climate emergency. So there's, you know, there's a, a trend one way and then there's a trend another and there's this really deep divide. But the steps that countries are taking to build ambition and to meet goals of the Paris Agreement are important to continue watching and we're going to continue watching that. But also what you're saying about you know, human beings on the individual level also need to be changing their behaviors. Uh, and we can't just constantly just be looking to the governments to, to make the changes. It, it's something that comes from everybody working together. Uh, and it's something that in our second season, I'd like to see us focus more on is, you know, we've, you know, we were looking at the government policies, we're looking at these countries, but there's also a story to be told about the people who are driving these changes uh, on the human level. Um, and uh, we're going to pick up again in August for our second season, uh, but we're going to jump in with, uh, you know, a bit of a different approach. I'd like to see your, um, your Washington updates coming uh, as a standalone. And then we'll talk about the international level. You and I can talk about that together, uh, much like we have been doing. Uh, but then uh, we're going to you know, look at a little bit more of that personal human side, uh, grassroots, local stories, candidates, uh, certainly are going to be important and you know what young people are doing you know what it what is this school doing with their solar program how are we encouraging our youth to uh, step up and do more um, so 
that's kind of where we're going to come back in, in August. And I hope everyone will join us for all of that and more as we expand the Zero Knit 50 community into uh, support of policies and practices that can help the world achieve this net zero emissions goal by 2050. And of course, Joel, thank you for all of your insights this year. It's really just been amazing. Well, thanks, Jennifer. It's been fun, actually. And uh, uh, I'm enjoying it. Look forward to the, to the next phase. Yep, absolutely. And thanks to our listeners for joining us. Look for the new season in August. And in the meantime, you can tweet questions and comments to us at hashtag zero net 50 and have a great day.